and welcome to the Transfer Window. This is the podcast that not only takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football, but brings you insight and analysis of the issues that matter every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. I'm Jordan McFarlane and joining me are pundits extraordinaire Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. On today's Transfer Podcast, it's your questions answered. What can Manchester United do with their expensive and now injured misfit Alexis Sanchez? And is Jadon Sancho the perfect replacement? Can Newcastle United hold on to their fans' messiah Rafa Benitez? And after their crushing defeat by Ajax, who are Real Madrid most likely to turn to as a new boss? Okay, well, let's get started. Um, well, first of all, want to say a big thank you to the Transfer Window listeners who went onto iTunes and added another 50-odd reviews to our uh, tally. That's been really helpful. But to those of you who still haven't done it, we just want to make another quick plea just to get on there and give us some five-star reviews, Ian. People, we know thousands of you love us and you know that we love you. Um, this would be a very, very lonely place without our listeners, and um, we want to increase that uh, and make the podcast available to more and more people, more and more football fans like yourselves who enjoy the kind of debate which is intelligent, insightful and analytical. And therefore, we're asking you to do us a wee favour back, and that is go to iTunes and give us a five-star review. The reason for that is very simple. It makes us more available and more easily accessible to more listeners because we go up in terms of the searches for football podcasts. Now, we know lots of you have done it already and we're very grateful to you for that. But if you recommend us to your friends, but also, as I said, go on to iTunes, give us a five-star review, even write a little couple of sentences about why you like us. And when you do that, then we will get bigger and better, just as we have for you guys in the last four or five weeks. We've gone up from one podcast to three. So please, please, please do us that favour back. A very powerful message there from Mr McGarry. Do you think he's got a future in uh, as a dictator in some tin pot country, Duncan? He already is, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever heard of Plato's philosopher king, Johnny? That's me. <laughs> I'm secretly pulling the strings of the world's political leaders. I'm a Scottish football journalist, and I am out of my depth with two PhDs. I haven't heard of anything to do with Plato. Is he a Brazilian footballer? Did he not play for AC Milan? Mm, no. Chelsea? No. <laughs> was that Plato? It was indeed. It was. <laughs> Plato's what you have Fuck. your lunch off of, Johnny. <laughs> when you're going posh. Actually, Johnny, uh, Alexander Pato should be your favourite favorite footballer. You know what it translates to from Portuguese? What? Duck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do any puns after uh, the reaction on Twitter the last time. I'm going to stay away, stay away from that entirely. Right, well, we're going to go on to your questions. And we're going to start with uh, numerous questions about Alexis Sanchez, Donald O'Sullivan, how do you solve a problem like Alexis Sanchez? One of the worst pieces of business in the club's history, if not the worst. I'd struggle to see China paying his wages, says Donald. I think he's right. It's a, it's a big problem for Manchester United, um, mostly because of the internal problems that it's caused within the club. It's a subject of discussion amongst the other players, how much Alexis Sanchez is being paid. Um uh, relative to his contribution for the team, relative to his behaviour, uh, 
uh, in the camp, something that Ian um, revealed months ago on the Transfer Window podcast, uh, the kind of the bad attitude he had and the demands he was making his teammates and his unpopularity amongst the, the squad. Um, it's obviously, as we um, pointed out last week, it's, um, it's having a big effect on their ability to keep David De Gea at the club and that De Gea is asking for um, wages on, on the same level as Sanchez um, as a condition to remain there. Uh, Ed Woodward has informed his representatives that he will not pay those wages. He will not make the mistake he made with Alexis Sanchez again. And therefore, they're in risk, at risk of losing their best player because of him. Um, you know, the, the, the kind of simple approach would be to say, OK, well, let's get rid. Um, he's clearly not working for the team. We're paying him too much money. Uh, we'll have to shift him out. Um, I don't think uh, Alexis Sanchez would be against that, to be honest. I think um, if he could get um, a good, a very good salary elsewhere um, at a club that suited his ambitions um, in a place where he, he thinks he would be happier, he would go for that move. I think the problem is finding the club. Um, you know, the, the, the level of salary he's on is so high, you have um, completely restricted the options um, if you're going to do it in a straightforward uh, take his contract over and pay it fashion. I think there might be an option for Manchester United if they're prepared to subsidise his wages. And this is something they've done before. Um, they did it with Wayne Rooney. Um, I believe they've done it with other players. Um, and I don't know if that's something they're considering with Sanchez, but I think it is something that uh, has to be thought about as a possibility here as a way of getting him out of the squad um, and clearing some of that wage, if not all of it, um, to invest in in uh, players who can contribute more to the team. Only one way to solve this problem, and that's take the hit. Manchester United have to hold their hands up and say we must take the financial hit on this because they have to get rid of him. Um, he's a very, very um, poor and aggravating influence in that dressing room. Um, he is a moody character, someone who um, does not disguise the darkness that he brings to the dressing room, uh, whether it's because he's not playing or because he feels he's not being treated properly or whatever. I think it says a lot <clears throat> that it was a Chilean team doctor who yesterday made it public that he's going to be out for six to seven weeks which is effectively almost the rest of the season um, with um, a knee problem that he sustained um, last weekend. <sighs> Look, Duncan's right. He won't go quietly, <clears throat> but that means he won't go without compensation payment. The two ways to do that, um, one, they subsidise wages elsewhere at another club, which, as Duncan said, has been done before. It's done famously by Chelsea with Juan Sebastian Veron, who won more titles while still being paid by Chelsea than he did when he won, was at Chelsea for that one fateful year. They also did it with Fernando Torres as well for three years, when, again, it was impossible to move those players because of the salaries they were on. Or they can make him an upfront payment. Um, usually that kind of compensation payment is between 60 to 75% of the remainder of his contract, and that's paid as some kind of signing off fee, if you like. <clears throat> and um, that's something I think Sanchez would be open to. Uh, make him a free agent, 
and he could sign for another club on, a, I'm sure, a, another good salary, but certainly not the money's on at Manchester United. So how do you solve that problem? Easy. Take the hit and get him out. You make him just, sound a little bit one... like a Batman villain there, Ian. Brings <laughs> darkness to the dressing room. It's like yeah, being... well, don't you think he's got a little bit of a, dark, a, a Batman villain look about him? I think he has, actually. <laughs> I think he might be onto something there. Look, in any new film with Batman, they could have the Alexis Sanchez villain. <laughs> Just, just one thing on, on uh, one more thing on Sanchez, uh, which is notice, notable, I think, is that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer um, recently, when talking about Sanchez, said, I can't do anything about Alexis Sanchez. When he plays, he needs to find himself because we know there's a quality player there. Now, contrast that with the way Solskjaer has talked about every other player in the Manchester United team. It's been relentless positivity. It's been, I can help them improve. I can... I can help them uh, perform better on the pitch. He's the only player that Solskjaer has said, I can't do anything about and put the uh, weight on the player himself publicly. And I think that's very telling. We talked a lot about PSG's interest in the player when he had the choice to go to City or United. They were definitely interested. Is there any chance that they could come back in from or is he just, is his reputation shattered to, to an extent that that would not be the case? I don't know. I haven't asked uh, contacts at PSG whether they're still interested in them. Um, I would be, I'd be surprised, um, given the restructuring they plan to do and the general way in which they've they have restructured recently. I think they're shifting more towards younger players. Um, you know, we we know they they tried to get Frankie De Jong, uh, got very close to doing that deal. Um, you know, the Kylian Mbappe it, it was it was an important acquisition for them. I think they want to shift the, the age um, range of their squad down, and uh, I'd be I would be surprised if they would go for Sanchez in those circumstances when they have other um, stronger options uh, to pursue in the summer. Well, one player that Manchester United might be looking at as a replacement for Alexis Sanchez is Jaden Sancho from Dortmund. And uh, we've got a question here from Lokesh Sankarath, uh, who asks, how true is it that Manchester United are interested in and want to sign Jaden Sancho? Ian? I think, um, along with probably about five or six other major clubs in the world, Manchester United are interested in Jaden Sancho. What I'd say is that <clears throat> I've been very surprised um, by how quickly his value has escalated. Um, I've heard from agents who are dealing um, with the club's interest in Sancho and speaking to Borussia Dortmund, and Dortmund are quoting 100 million uh, euros <clears throat> and above for a player who has effectively not achieved that much. I mean, Dortmund have lost, I think, seven of the, uh, six of the last seven games. They're now ahead of Bayern Munich, um, uh, by a, a whisker and and therefore what seemed to be a, a title trot to the end has become um, a bit of a battle um, losing to um, Spurs in the Champions League may help or not, I'm not sure the manner in which they lost could, could further dent their confidence and even uh, Luce, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Lucien Favre, the, the coach said prior to that game that um, he's still young, he's 18 um, Sometimes with players that way, their season goes down, their season goes up. He needs to find more consistency. So I think 100 million plus 
for a player who needs to find consistency is way too much of a risk. Um, I think with Manchester United at the moment, they have um, very good options on those wide areas um, with uh, obviously Marshall signed a new contract, Rashford can play either side, signed a new contract, uh, Jesse Lingard can play either side. Uh, and then, of course, you've got players who've been playing there like Juan Mata as well. So I think at the price for Manchester United, Sancho might be just, uh, I, I, I think, too expensive, to be quite honest. Um, and also, I, I said this before on the, on the podcast a few weeks ago, I believe that he'd be better served by spending another year in the Bundesliga and proving himself and therefore having um, a full choice and range of clubs to go to. His value in England is obviously exaggerated by the fact that he would be a homegrown player. So therefore he would fit into the um, the necessary uh, requirements for the 25-man squad when named. So uh, for me, I don't think Manchester United and Sancho is, is, a, is a, an obvious fit. Duncan, do you think there's maybe a, a club out there that's more suited? Well, they need a right winger. They've needed one for a long time. Um, as you say, he's homegrown, he's English. Um, so that is a huge attraction. Um, he's very young, which is obviously extremely attractive to Ed Woodward, who wants to be buying players who he sees um, being at the club uh, for a long period of time. Um, you know, but at that price, Duncan, that's what I mean. That's what, well, you, know, you, you know with Sancho that he's, he's viable. Dortmund will sell at that price. And I think, as we discussed in the podcast, the, the price of young talents has gone you know, up at an exponential rate. So clubs are, are now thinking we do have to seriously consider spending that amount of money to get a player when you add the English premium in. Um, it's, it's probably realistic as a, as a price for Manchester United. Um, what I would say is that um, there's one factor that's against him for Manchester United, and that's um, his social media following. Uh, he's only on 116,000 followers on Twitter, and that, that won't go down well with the Old Trafford hierarchy uh, when it comes to assessing his, his commercial value. Um, so as uh, Jose Mourinho was saying, Ivan Rakitic, um, uh, through the week after the, the, uh, the classical, uh, he probably needs to concentrate a little on his social media game to get that biggest of big moves. Sense just a hint of sarcasm for from Jose there about one one French central midfielder. Really, you think that's what he was referring to? Oh, I have no idea. Derek Halbash has been asking about Rafa Benitez and Newcastle. Here's his tweet. He says, considering how he has handled his club's ownership drama and broken transfer policy and is possibly going to keep Newcastle in the Premier League for next season, has Rafa Benitez done enough at Newcastle to get another managerial gig at a big club? Duncan? Well, he's at a big club. I mean, Newcastle United are a big club. They've got a, a huge support. Um, they have the potential to be um, a top Premier League club if they get their ownership sorted out. Obviously, that's a big if. Has he done enough to get into a club that has more... Um, revenue to spend at present and a more realistic chance of competing at the at the top. I'm, I'm not sure he has. Uh, why not? Because the way Rafa Benitez runs a football club is not popular these days. Um, with Benitez, you will get ultra-pragmatic football, guaranteed. That is the way he's going to set his teams up. 
Um, he's always done that, whatever the resources he's had uh, available to him, whatever the, the attack, attacking quality of the players he's had available to him. So then you say, which of the big clubs would be interested in, in hiring someone like him um, on a level playing field when they've got a good choice, when they're, you know, maybe as a, an emergency appointment um, in the, the kind of circumstances in which Chelsea hired them previously. But I don't see um, Manchester United ever adding him to the list of potential candidates for uh, the next permanent manager. I don't see Liverpool asking him to come back. I don't see Chelsea asking him to back, come back. Absolutely not. The, the fans uh, basically kicked him out the door. Arsenal, no. I, I don't see Tottenham going for him. So, so where is that job? Would be my my question. Um, maybe he's, maybe you, you can certainly argue he's done well with his resources. He's done a good job at Newcastle. You know what you're getting from him. Kind of like the kind of like a Spanish um, supersized salmon in a way. You, you know, you you know what you get from Benitez. He will deliver when he comes to the club. But is he really popular? Is he is he the man you want to to build your um, franchise and in inverted commas around. I, I don't think he is in modern football. Rafa's been clever in in that every job he's gone to, he um, builds a relationship with the fans through pulling on the heartstrings of what the tradition of the club is, the um, the good times that they've had, and how he's trying to bring those good times back. Um, this is a man who's managed Valencia, Liverpool. Real Madrid, Chelsea, Napoli, Newcastle United in the championship. Now, you've got to ask yourself, a man with that kind of CV ends up at Newcastle. Why is he there? Well, Ian, Ian, he's got an unlimited, untapped, free reign of Don A trainers. Why would he leave Newcastle? <laughs> Indeed. I didn't think about that way, to be fair. Um, is I, at I, least... Are you, do you know something that I don't? Are Donny Trainer something which he really values in life? Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Fire trap jeans. You know, I think. Like... I think clearly you're tra- clearly Johnny. You're trying to get your supply of both those brands by broadcasting them. So let's just leave it there. Other brands are available. People remember that. Um, but I just think with Rafa, he's a he's a bit, you know, he's a bit weird, really, as a manager. He he makes himself, or he tries to make himself impregnable by this relationship with the fans, which we've seen at Newcastle most recently, where the fans almost, they almost, they're almost kind of deceiving themselves with the brand of football they're playing. This is a club that, you know, where the glory days were involved with flair players like Ginola and Beardsley and Shearer. These are the, that's the kind of football they want to see and they're not getting it, but their loyalty to Rafa Benitez is absolutely unquestionable. And the reason is, is because almost every time he, speaks in public you know he talks about the fans and how everything's important and it's built around them and everything else so with a kind of fan base which is fanatical like Newcastle United then it's it's kind of an easy sell I think it's a much harder sell um, to take him to another Premier League club where let's say mid-table because Newcastle haven't been mid-table even for the last few years um, whereby you know the fans will be less easy to ingratiate uh, with, with Rafa given the fact that he has had so many clubs. I mean, look, out of the blue, maybe if um, Celtic decide not to employ Neil Lennon, maybe Celtic's his next club. 
I don't think Celtic would like his uh, football either, to be honest. No, that's true. But the, the fans would go for the whole, you know, tug on the heartstrings. That's for sure. We've got another question from Brett Ramirez. He's asking about Real Madrid's next manager. And it's pretty pertinent given they were absolutely stuffed last night at the Bernabeu by Ajax. Duncan, is it going to be your man, Josie Mourinho? Well, they tried to hire Josie Mourinho um, after sacking Lopetegui. Um, they invited him to come back, uh, leave the troubles of Manchester United and uh, sort out the dressing room, essentially, is what Florentino Perez wants. He feels like the dressing room has become too powerful um, and needs a, a strong figure um, back in charge of it uh, to to make them competitive in Spain. And as you know, as we saw last night, make them competitive in Europe again. Um, I think it's a possibility that, that Mourinho will take the job, but he certainly has reservations about going back there. Um, Mourinho left the club because he wanted to leave Real Madrid. Um, Florentino, try, Florentino Perez tried to keep him that summer uh, that he elected to join Chelsea. Um, but Mourinho had had enough of the internal politics in Madrid, um, the media in Madrid. Um, the difficulty of managing that dressing room and, and chose to go elsewhere, wanted to be back in English football, wanted to live in London again. Um, what I'm told is he still has reservations about going back. Obviously, he turned them down when the, when the job was made available earlier this season. Clearly, that was at a difficult point to take over. You'd, you'd never want to be taking over clubs mid-season if you can help it. And he was committed to Manchester United. He wanted um, to make it. Uh, succeed at Manchester United. He wanted to prove a point there. He wasn't trying to get out. Um, he knew he was under severe pressure um, and he had no um, assurances from the board that he would be continuing beyond the end of this season. But even in those circumstances, he said no to Madrid. So I think they have work to do to convince him uh, it's the right job to take. However, he's on the market. Um, he doesn't have an offer from another major club um, that is appealing to him to commit to that other club. So you have to say, um, if you know that if you know that the, the the president of the club wants the guy, if you know that he wants a, a strong position in European football again, um, you have to say he's a he's he's clearly a strong candidate to take over there. My, my reservation here on this is uh, based on Jose's most recent public comments, Duncan, saying that he wants to go to a club next time where there's no internal conflict. And I would suspect that you could compare Real Madrid in terms of internal conflict to um, some kind of uh, ongoing civil war <clears throat> based on one result to the next. Uh, there is no sport director. Well, there is in in theory, but there's no buffer really. Josie would be dealing direct with Florentino, which was great. Um, but and there's a budget there definitely um, for him to spend. Let's weigh up the um, the alternatives. Um, Mercy Pochettino turned 47 this week and um, has won no trophies as a manager. Real Madrid are a club who live and breathe victory and trophies. If they take a chance on Pochettino's potential, inverted commas, aged 47, remember, 
then they take a chance on someone who has yet to prove and get a football team over the line when it comes to winning a major championship. Mourinho is a serial winner, as we know. He's done it in Madrid already, and he'd be willing to do it again. What is possible, however, is uh, the very likely um, resignation of Massimiliano Allegri at Juventus, who, like um, Mourinho, is a serial winner, although he's yet to win the Champions League, um, has been learning Spanish. Um, with a view to the possibility of a move there. And what we have right now is is a kind of fluid merry-go-round situation. Because if Florentino has to choose between those three candidates, then Mourinho's the conservative choice. Pochettino is the um, probably the, the left-field choice in terms of his CV. And Allegri is the one in between. What it does as well, though, is it opens up the Juventus job, <clears throat> where I think Mourinho would also be a top candidate, given his incredible success over one season with Inter Milan. Um, Mr Zidane a better candidate for that, though? I'm not sure. Zidane is a flaky character, and, and ultimately Juventus, again, are a conservative club. Despite Zidane's strong association with Juve, um, I don't see him being the obvious replacement for Allegri, with Mourinho, I think, being someone who has done done it in Serie A and won the Champions League with Internazionale. And I think the probable um, course of events will be that Mourinho will go to Italy and Allegri to Spain, which leaves Pochettino somewhat out in the cold with regards to what he might do. I think... Um... Sudan definitely wants the Juventus job. Um, that's his preference. Anything you hear about English clubs, he's given the option between Juventus and any of the English clubs, he'll choose Juventus. The, it, Mourinho, you would think, would be a good fit to Juventus because of his track record in Syria, but he's actually not a good fit to Juventus because of his track record in Syria. He went up head-to-head with Juventus, beat them at Inter. He's extremely unpopular with the Juventus supporters. Um I think there's a degree of tension with the Juventus hierarchy. So it would be a bit like um, uh, Liverpool inviting him in to replace Jurgen Klopp um, when they eventually get rid of him. Now that would be an interesting appointment. Well, just remember, he was interviewed for that job before <laughs> um, Rafa Benitez was in 2004. Yeah. Yes, I think at that stage, um, he would have been the ideal fit for Liverpool. I think Liverpool support would love um, uh, a manager of that character and, and the way he, he holds himself but um, <laughs> there's been a lot of rough water under the bridge since then so um, I don't think I don't I ever think, see I, Mourinho at Anfield I think tsunamis were, were probably more accurate <laughs> rather than rough water under the bridge <laughs> indeed well, let's just say Ajax last night absolutely sensational performance um, uh, someone was pointing out today that Ajax total revenue last season was less than West Bromwich Albion's TV income from last season and they produced a team and uh, a footballing performance of that standard at the Bernabeu. Um, I was just, uh, I had a message from a, a contact at Ajax after the game and uh, we'd been discussing the, the VAR decision in the first leg after um, Ajax had gone ahead and had that ridiculous um, decision of a 
uh, offside interfering with play, um, having the goal chopped off and then losing 2-1 and, you know, saying, I'd, I'd said to him, I hope justice was done in, in, this, in the second leg and texted me back after the game and he said justice was done. Um, and and it, and it was, and I think um, also mentioning VAR there, um, just another another mess from VAR. With four that. minutes, Duncan. Was it four minutes? Four minutes. Unbelievable. Four minutes to decide whether the ball crossed the, the line or not. When, and, and this is the key thing for me, the linesman was closer to the incident, had a better angle, a better view of what happened than any of the cameras the VAR operatives were, were trying to use um, and said the ball was in play. Um, and yet they go over it again and again and again. I think they got the decision right. I think um, because the ball was in the air and the whole of the ball hadn't crossed the line, I think they got it right. But if it takes four minutes, as you say, to make the decision, it's clearly not a clear and obvious error. Therefore, just let it, let's go on with it. We don't need this interruption in football over you know, minor things. A lot of people talking about Dusan Tadic's performance and mm. maybe he's worth looking at uh, his transfer from Southampton. It was big money for EAX. I think it was in the region of about 12 million euros. But uh, he performed at the highest level last night. Uh, is he a, the kind of player that clubs have, have perhaps missed out on signing? Uh, the bigger clubs, given his performance? He was, he was very good in the first leg as well. Um, interestingly, um, I mean, I wrote a story uh, it's about a year and a half ago now that Liverpool were seriously looking at Dusan Tadic as a replacement for Coutinho, were they to sell him, um, not in last summer's window, but obviously the summer transfer window before, which was kind of scoffed at by Liverpool supporters. Um, I think you can see from the way he's been playing at Ajax why Liverpool were looking at Tadic as that kind of, of player because he would have been a, a good value purchase um, for someone like Liverpool to sign with, the, with the, the ability to come into the game and add creativity in a number of positions. Um, and, and he's exactly, if you, if you think about it, he's exactly the kind of player they're missing at the moment in the midfield. Uh, the, the guy who's able to make that difference with his creativity um, in the in the midfield or the second line of attack um, when they come up with difficult defensive situations which are, are perhaps going to cost them the Premier League title. Okay, well, it's time for the donkeys now. Cue excitement. Today's donkey is the failing grailing awards. For survival despite obvious incompetence, a reference to Chris Grayling and his uh, recent debacles. So, without further ado, Ian, who are the nominees? That's me just opening the golden envelope. <laughs> this week's nominations, I'm very proud to say, um, we have, first of all, a man who is um, no stranger to the donkey nominations, although I think falls behind Jurgen Klopp in the actual winning of the donkey, and that's Mr. Ed Woodward, Executive Vice Chairman of Manchester United. A man who's presided over um, five years now and uh, several managers and around half a billion pounds of expenditure, uh, but still has yet to win, uh, in the name of Manchester United, a Premier League title. So someone who I think is um, 
quite close to failing Gwelling in terms of um, the collapse from one thing to another. The second is a favourite of mine, I have to say, and I think a favourite of the transfer window all in, Mr Tim Sherwood, a man um, who has certainly convinced himself that his talent is greater than anyone else believes it is. He has um, failed in many positions, much, much like our beloved Chris Grayling, uh, as a player lateral in his career. Obviously, he won the Premier League title, so we'll give him that. Uh, certainly as a manager and a coach, and even as a director of football at a club like Swindon Town. So we've got to give him the honourable mention and indeed the nomination. I think the most interesting one, however, and I'm going to leave Duncan uh, to um, give the full CV of the incredibly well-travelled striker, Lucas Piazon, signed by Chelsea in the academy. A man, now a man, he was a boy, who has played more clubs than Chas and Dave tribute bands uh, and yet still has yet to register any kind of significant impact. Duncan, over to you to present the award. Well, Lucas Piazon signed in 2011 for uh, a, a transfer fee that could rise to £10 million, which was a very significant sum at the time, and, uh, and named as a, as a kind of future caca that Chelsea had beaten all the competition to acquire. Um, he's played three games for Chelsea, although he's still employed by them eight years later. He's played for Malaga, he's played for Vitesse, he's played for Eintracht Frankfurt, he's played for Reading, he's played for Fulham, and he's played for Kievo. Not with any great success anywhere. He uh, is the highlight of his Chelsea career was coming on in uh, an eight 0 victory and missing a penalty. Um, but I think he doesn't quite get the failing railing award. I think um, in this esteemed company, um, even with Ed Woodward in the, the list of nominations, I have to give it to Tim Sherwood for um, failure as a manager, failure as a coach, failure as a director of football, and I think. Um, most people who listen to him as a pundit would uh, say he's been uh, a great failure there too. So he gets the donkey this week, Tim Sherwood. Highly deserving recipient, <laughs> I would say. I, I would say so too. Well, we're going to wrap this up here. It's been an interesting week. We've had Hot Take McGarry tell us that uh, Zinedine Zidane is flaky, that Alexis Sanchez brings darkness to the Manchester United dressing room and that Rafa Benitez is weird. Where else will you get such powerful punditry? Tim Sherwood. <laughs> <laughs> or not. <laughs> okay, it's time to wrap this particular transfer window up, but uh, fear not, we'll be back on Friday to fulfil all your podcasting needs. To continue the debate, we are all on Twitter. You can get us at Transfer Podcast. If you want to speak to us individually, I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane. Ian is at GarboSG and Duncan is at Duncan Castles. If you like the podcast, and we know thousands of you do, give something back by popping onto iTunes and giving us a five-star review. Until Friday, thanks for listening. Listener.